So recently, our family celebrated a little bit of a milestone. Our youngest daughter, Madeline, uh, officially went one full year without having a seizure, which we were really excited about. We're very <laughs> thankful for. And I'll, I'll uh, you know, there's certain things with your children that you never forget, and I'll never forget Madeline's first seizure. We thought that she wouldn't uh, have those because she had gotten to a certain age, but uh, it was actually July 3rd, I remember, because it was the day before the 4th of July, July 3rd, 2017, and we were home, and it was late at night, and she, she woke up, and, and she had a seizure, and we didn't know what to do at the time. We didn't have any medicine at home to deal with it, so, of course, we called an ambulance, and an ambulance came, and very traumatic, and she ended up spending the night in the hospital, and it was the next day, the 4th of July, that uh, we got to take her home, and they had pumped her so full of anti-seizure medication to get the seizures to stop that she just was not herself. Um, anti-seizure medications can often affect your mood. And so uh, we put her in the car, we began to drive her home, and she was just so miserable. She was so angry at everything and just back there throwing a fit. And she was mostly angry that we didn't have bacon in the car for her. <laughs> she was screaming over and over for bacon, <laughs> which I was kind of a little proud of her in the moment. It's like, yeah, that's, that's good, that's good. But, um, and so we're trying to reason with her. It's hard enough to reason with, she would have been three at the time. It's hard enough to reason with a three-year-old, let alone a three-year-old who's been pumped full of the drugs to stop the seizures. And so she wasn't really having any of it. And at one point, while I'm trying to say, Maddie, we'll get bacon. We'll, we'll stop at Wegmans, we'll get bacon. You can have bacon when you get home. She goes, she goes you shut your mouth, David Marvin. Marvin was my dad's dad's name, my grandpa's name. That's my middle name, David Marvin. You shut your mouth, David Marvin. And it's like one of those moments as a parent when you know you're supposed to be upset with your child, but it's so funny. Uh, you can barely help yourself. And so um, I was like, you got your mouth from your mom. That's what, that's what, that's what happened there. So uh, this morning we're going to talk about our words <laughs> and the power of our words. Uh, as we're going through the book of James, last week we studied a passage where James um, spoke very directly and strongly to us about our works, right, our works. And this week, the next passage, he speaks to us very directly and strongly about our words. He moves from our works to our words, from what we do to what we say. And the truth is, is that most of us probably think our words are not as damaging as our works, um, you know, there's that little sing-songy thing that kids used to say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It doesn't take very long for people to realize that's actually not true. Words can really hurt. You know, we're in a country, we have freedom of speech, and so we defend our right to say whatever we want. But James actually has some things to um, confront us with this morning that say, you may have freedom of speech, and yeah, words maybe don't hurt like action sometimes, but we're still responsible for our words. We're going to look at this text beginning in James chapter 3. I'm going to read to you the first 12 verses of James 3. He says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. And he gives three examples here. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. 
So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, my sisters, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This morning we're going to learn three things, or four things actually. We're going to learn four things about our words. And the first thing that we learn in this text is the power of our words. The power of our words. This week I read a bunch of articles online about the power of our words. And I read an article in the Huff Post by Dr. John DeGarmo. He wrote an article called The Power of Your Words. And uh, this guy, in, in, in addition to being a doctor uh, who studies um, the power of words in people's lives, he was actually a foster uh, care father. And, and he was a father to over 50 children from the foster care system. And he's had children come into his home who have never had a kind word spoken to them for their entire lives. And he talked about the way it affected them, their inability to speak kind words to other people, their inability to smile, to enjoy life. He talked about one 17-year-old who ended up in prison and said he liked prison because the prison guards were the first people to ever actually kind of speak kind to him. The power of our words, the, the, there's so much power that we hold. And um, James gives us three memorable metaphors so that we won't forget. The first one he talks about is the bit in the mouth of a horse. Now, Madeline, part of her therapy is she gets to do equine therapy. She gets to go and ride on horses. And it's so funny to see her little body on top of these big horses. And of course, there's other people holding her and helping her. But she actually, if she grips that uh, bridle well enough and pulls on it, she actually can control the horse. She's tiny, she's about 20 pounds, she can't, she's so much, but if I took the biggest, strongest person in the room, like Greg Bell, and I put him on a horse without a bridle or a bit, and it's a wild horse, it doesn't matter how strong he is, he can't control that horse, but you put little Maddie on a horse with a little bridle and a bit, and all of a sudden she has control over that horse. And this is what James is saying, that like the bit, your tongue can control or release great power, great power under the control of his tongue. So there's great power. The second metaphor that he gives here, uh, teaching us that the tongue is a small thing that causes great results, he talks about the rudder and the ship. And the, uh, an enormous ship is steered by one small little rudder. What he's teaching us here is that your tongue has so much power because it's the power to literally control the direction of your life. The way you speak, not just to others, but the way you speak to yourself has this sort of formative power over yourself. You know that you're always talking to yourself, right? You're, even as I'm talking this morning, you're having an internal dialogue with yourself. You're always talking to yourself, and we tend to always believe ourselves. And so your self-talk has so much power. The things you say about yourself and the way you talk about yourself, it has the power to shape the direction of your life. If you're always saying negative things about yourself, it has the power to lead you into negative outcomes. If you learn how to speak positively, 
And not just self-help positively, but positively from God's word, how God sees you, what's true about you because of what Jesus has done. Those sort of words have the power to direct our lives into health and into wholeness. And you know, when we do talk down about ourselves, we're really actually talking down about God because he's our creator. He's our, he's our maker. He's the one that formed us and shaped us and made us exactly how he wanted to make us. So our tongues have great power. And then the third metaphor that James uses is the spark in the forest fire, where the tongue can seem so small, so minor, so insignificant, but look at the damage the tongue can do. Every one of us in this room, if we're honest, have done damage at some point in our lives with our words. And every single one of us in this room has been damaged by the words of others. This fire. In October of 1871 was the great Chicago fire. Uh, it burned in that city for two days. It, it blackened about three and a half miles of the city. It destroyed 17,000 buildings. Killed 250 people. All started by, people think, a cow kicking over a lantern in a barn somewhere. Just a spark. By the way, on the same day that the Chicago fire, we don't usually hear this, but on the exact same day, uh, there was a spark that ignited a fire in the north woods of Wisconsin that burned for an entire month, destroyed billions of yards of precious timber, and actually took more lives than the Chicago fire. And in our day and age, we see the fires in California, we see the fires in Australia. We see what just a spark can do. And here's what James is trying to remind us with. You've got to be sober about your words. Every word matters. Once you spend your words like time, you never get it back. And, and there is explosive potential, listen, there is explosive potential in your words to destroy people, to destroy relationships, to destroy feelings, to destroy peace, to destroy someone's future. There's explosive potential. There's power in our words, and James is trying to warn us. The second thing that we see about our words here is that there's power, but there's also there's great danger. There's great danger. <coughs> I've mentioned this before, but we like watching America's Funniest Home Videos in our house, and there's this one feature they do sometimes on AFV where they pause a video right before somebody's about to get hurt, and there's multiple people in the video, and they pause it, and you got to guess who's about to get hurt. And sometimes it's really hard to tell because you can't always see where the danger's coming from. You think, well, that person looks like they're about to fall into a pool. They're going to get hurt, and then this person over here that you weren't even paying attention to, all of a sudden, they're the one who gets hurt. And, and that's, that's the thing with life and the thing with dangers. We don't always know where it's coming from. And we don't always see it coming. And we don't always know what's more, most dangerous. But James is warning us here, our words are dangerous. And he, he says there's four things that our words do that, that make them very dangerous. He said that they boast of great things. Our words are boastful. They can be prideful. Self-promotion, someone who's always talking about themselves all the time, always trying to promote themselves. Our words, we promote ourselves. And listen, the way in which it's dangerous is because eventually it pushes people away. When you're a prideful person always boasting about yourself and what you've done, it pushes people away. And it, 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 uh, this, it, it makes you unable to listen to other people and appreciate what's unique and great about them because you're so busy trying to impress people with, with your words. And for some people, it's talking about themselves. And, and honestly, for some people, it's the way that they talk. It's their level of being articulate that they think is something impressive. And, and they're more articulate than other people. And so they try to overwhelm people with their words. Paul says, or James says, this is dangerous. Then he also uses this, this phrase. He says, the tongue is full of restless evil. What a, what a visual image. Restless evil. Never resting. Always a danger. When I think of words that are marked by restless evil, you know what I think of? I think of gossip. Gossip that just keeps running around. Gossip and flattery. You know, gossip and flattery are basically the opposite side of the same coin because gossip is saying behind 
someone's back what you would never say to their face, right? And flattery is saying to someone's face what you would never say behind their back. And either way, it's a restless evil in our words. Uh, this, the Proverbs talk about sort of an eagerness in your, in your words, an eagerness in a person to run to gossip, to run to evil. Where's the rumors? Where's the inside information? And a lot of times gossip is really just about trying to feel like you're on the inside of something. I know something no one else knows. I got to share it with people. Or sometimes gossip is about tearing down other people to make yourself feel better. But listen to me. There is not a single Christian motivation behind gossip. And gossip can take all sorts of forms. It It can take the form of a prayer request. Hey, I really need you to pray with me about this. But what you really want is to tell them something interesting or something that they don't need to know. Gossip can take the form of just being, you know, sometimes we excuse our gossip because we only, we have one really close friend and that's who we tell all of our gossip to, but we don't gossip broadly. And so this is a restless evil that makes our words dangerous. Uh, James says that our, our words are full of deadly poison, that they have the power to speak death, that they can poison others and they can poison uh, ourselves with the lies that we say to ourselves. And then he says, lastly, that uh, our words, um, with the same mouth that blesses God, we curse people who have been made in the likeness of God. What is this? This is criticism, unfair criticism of other people. This is judging other people because they're different than you. Looking down on people, using your words to attack other people, degrading people. This can be sexist talk. This can be racist talk. It can even just be uncharitable talk where you're just not talking kindly of somebody else. And you're, instead of assuming the best motivations in somebody else, you're assuming their worst motivations, and then you're talking about it. And James is giving us this warning here that there is danger in our words. Okay, so there's power in our words. There's danger in our words. And then third thing we learn in this text is we learn about the source of our words. Where do they come from? James gives us two metaphors. He says that the fresh and salt water should not come from the same spring. And then he also says that a fig tree should not produce olives and a grape vine should not produce figs. What is James saying? It's very simple. James is saying you can't say your one thing. You can't be one thing and then consistently produce with your words something else. You can't say you're God-fearing and then with your words produce something else. You can't say that you love Jesus and that you've experienced his grace and his generosity and then not be generous with your words towards other people. There's a, there's a discrepancy here. And, and, and I know we all mess up. I get that. We all make mistakes. We all say the wrong things at times. What I'm talking about is the discrepancy between somebody who claims to be one thing and then there's a consistent pattern in their life of using words that reveals that actually there's something else. Jesus had something to say on this in Matthew chapter 12. Look what he says in verse 33 to his disciples. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. This sounds a lot like James. Your works reveal your faith, right? Verse 34, he's talking to the Pharisees. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Everything we say flows out of the abundance of our, the source of our words is not our throat, it's not our vocal cords, it's not our mouth. The source of our words, James and Jesus agree, it's our heart. Everything we say starts and originates in our heart. And I understand it's one of those phrases that I almost wish wasn't there, because sometimes when I hear that, I think, oh, that can't can't really be true, because sometimes I say things, but that's not really my heart. And James and Jesus are both saying that you can't let yourself off so easy. If your words 
are wrong, your heart is probably wrong, at least in that moment. The good person, verse 35, out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. As Christians, do we have a good treasure within us? Verse 36, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And just like James last week, Jesus is not teaching us that if we say enough good things, we will be saved. What he's saying is there's a way in which our words actually reveal our hearts. And so James is not just interested in what we do, he's also interested in what we say. And by the way, uh, this is true not just of spoken words, but of written words. Right? In this day and age, we have lots of ways to communicate beyond the spoken word. Text message, email, Facebook post, comment. We're responsible for all our words, whether we speak them or whether we write them. The same principle applies. James is teaching us here, when our hearts are wrong, eventually your words will be wrong. When our hearts are wrong, our words will be wrong. Let me give you three examples. If you have an insecure heart, and everything I'm going to say, we all struggle with at times, right? But if your heart is just racked with insecurity, you will always use your words to protect yourself. And you will always use your words to tear other people down because you're so insecure in who you are, the only way you can feel better about yourself is by tearing other people down and noticing everything that's wrong about them. If you have an insecure heart, an anxious heart, uh, you, will, you will use your words to try to control other people and try, and try to control outcomes. If you have a prideful heart, you'll use your words not to protect yourself so much, but to prove yourself. You'll judge and you'll criticize other people who aren't like you, and you'll do anything with your words to draw attention to the things that you are great at. If you have a selfish heart, uh, then you'll use your words to get things for yourself. You'll get very good with your words, and you'll learn how to use them to manip- manipulate people in situations to get things for yourself. And... and Out of our hearts come our words. And James says, if you're regularly using your words to harm and curse people, then the blessing you think you're giving to God when you come into church and you stand and you sing songs, it's actually coming from somewhere else. This is a big issue for us because James is saying, if you are cursing people who are made in the likeness of God, then even when you think you're blessing God, you're not blessing him. Let me explain what this looks like. The same three types of hearts that I just described, insecure, prideful, and selfish, here's here's how those same hearts can actually motivate what looks like blessing God, right? Listen, if you have an insecure, insecure heart, you say, I will bless God because I think if I bless God, it secures my standing before him. And so I bless him because, it'll, uh, because I, will, uh, I will be more um, sure. If you have a prideful heart, then maybe you're blessing God on Sunday mornings because you're better than all the people who aren't. And all those people who won't get up and come out to church. So even our singing and our blessing can be, I'm singing louder than the person next to me. I'm more exuberant than the person next to me. If you have a selfish heart, you might be blessing God because of what you think you're going to get out of it. As long as I bless God, then he has to bless me in return. So you see, it can, be, uh, it can look like we're blessing God, but James is teaching us it's flowing out of a heart that could be insecure, prideful, and selfish, the source of our words. And so this morning, what we have to ask is, Holy Spirit, don't just fix my words, but work in my heart. Work in my heart and help me to notice the words I say. Okay, last point this morning. So we have the power of our words, the source of our words, and then we have the healing, the healing of our words. What's the solution? Well, if I'm honest with you, the solution is not in the text we just read. The solution is in next week's text, but I'm not going to just leave you hanging. Uh, So I want to give you a few thoughts on the healing of our words. I want to give you four things, and this is going to be very practical. How do we get better with our words? The first thing is this. We ask God for help. That's where we start, right? 
James doesn't give us this teaching so that we can fix ourselves. James gives us this teaching so that we recognize our dependency upon God. And so we can ask God for help. We can't do this on our own. The psalmist in Psalm 141.3, the psalmist, this was, this was David actually, he prayed this great prayer. This is a good prayer for us to pray for ourselves every day. God, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. David knew he couldn't do it for himself. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth and keep watch over the doors or the door of my lips. Just like there are those who are assigned to guard specific entries and gates and doors, David is saying, God, would you, by your Holy Spirit, uh, set a guard by my, my words, by the door of my lips, so that, so, that there'll be, uh, uh, so that I can grow in speaking words of grace and life and not, not words of death. So number one, we got to ask God for help. Number two, you got to listen to yourself. A lot of people talk, and they don't listen to themselves. Let me give you a few things about listening to yourself. This is just self-awareness. What do I say all day? Imagine, I remember hearing a story one time of a guy who wanted to get better at speaking words that were kinder, and so he forced himself, before he would say anything, he wrote it down on a piece of paper and looked at it. Put it right in front of himself. Listen, you don't always, this will help some of you, you don't always have to say the first thing that comes to your mind. That's nice, right? You don't always have to say the first thing that comes to your mind. In fact, if this is a regular pattern of speech problem for you, you probably should not say the first thing that comes to your mind. You should wait. You don't always have to say something. Sometimes you can ask something. That's often a better response. When you know that you're going to say something hurtful or mean, it's probably better to ask something. And by ask something, I don't mean, why are you such an idiot? I mean, uh, ask something like, help me understand what's happening. <laughs> or um, I have some thoughts about this, but I want to hear your thoughts first, right? So, so don't, don't, you don't have to say the first thing that comes to your mind. You don't have to say something. You can ask something. And then, and then thirdly, uh, you actually don't have to say anything. We feel this pressure to always have something to say. Like, we always got to say something. You don't have to always say something. And then ask yourself this question before you say something, especially when you know emotions are high and stakes are high. Four questions that if you'll ask yourself this, it'll help you. Is what I'm about to say, is it true? Is it true? Now, be, be aware of your own bias because we always think what we have to say is true. But at least ask yourself that. Is it true? Now, for some people, that's, the, that's literally the only question they ask before they start talking. Do I think this is true? And then they let it rip. But there's more questions. Is it true? Is it kind? Kind doesn't mean nice. Those are two different things. Nice means keep the peace at all cost. Kind means I'll do the best thing for the people that I love and care about regardless of the possible tension because I'm kind, right? Kind sometimes means saying hard things. Is it true? Is it kind? Number three, is it helpful? Does it actually help this situation or does it just me just pouring gasoline on top of fire? Is it true? Is it kind? Is it helpful? And then here's a big one. Is it necessary? Is it necessary? Does it have to be said? I think we'd be better at our words if we would learn to ask those four questions. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it helpful? Is it necessary? Third thing that we can do after we listen to ourselves is choose to speak life. Use your words for good. And then the last thing we do, and this really is the key, we look to Christ. You know, for Christians, we don't save ourselves through our own efforts. We look to Christ and we see what he did. In verse 2 of this passage, James said, we all stumble in many ways. Aren't you glad James threw that in there? A little, little, little reprieve. We all stumble in many ways. 
And then James said this. This is interesting. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's the perfect man. He's the perfect man. And James, in using this word perfect, he's not talking about maturity. Other places in the New Testament, perfect means mature. He means perfect. You gotta, if you can control your tongue, you're the perfect person. You think James is saying to us, go for it? He's not. What he's doing is he's actually, I think, reminding us of Jesus Christ, the only perfect man. Jesus, who, who never sinned, not just with his works, but never sinned with his words. Jesus never said an unkind thing. He said hard things, but they were always kind. He never said an untrue thing. He never said something that wouldn't have been helpful to that person if they would have received it and responded. And he never said anything that wasn't unnecessary. I don't get the sense that Jesus was a blabbermouth and that he walked around just saying everything that came to his mind. Jesus spoke with intentionality, with kindness, and he spoke perfectly. And when he could have defended himself at his trial, he didn't speak at all. Jesus was perfect in the way he used his words. And he didn't just do it as our example, although he is a wonderful example. He did it as our substitute. So the only reason that you and I have hope to be forgiven of all of our wrong words is because Jesus spoke every word perfectly in our place. And we place our trust and hope in what he did, not what we can do. And then in John chapter 1, the apostle John actually takes it a whole other step. He says Jesus didn't just come to speak words. He came to be the word, the word of God who became flesh and lived among us. We've seen, his, we've seen his glory full of grace and full of truth, just like our word should be. Jesus, the word, what does that metaphor mean? It means that Jesus, the man, was everything God wanted to say to us in a person. Everything God wanted to say to his people in a person, that's Jesus Christ, the word of God. And if we're going to recognize the power in our words, if we're gonna avoid the danger of our words, if we're going to own up to the source of our words, then we need the healing of our words. And the only healing is found in trusting in Christ, saying, Jesus, as I see you for who you are, the perfect substitute in my place, change my heart. Change the source of my words so my words become less dangerous to others and myself. And that now the power of the word that I have can be used to speak life and not speak death, not to bring um, pain, but to bring hope and life to others. Let's pray together this morning.